Welcome to BIV's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion podcast. I'm Haley Wooden, Executive Editor at Business in Vancouver. This is our very first episode in a series that we hope provides a forum for discussing issues, opportunities, and progress related to diversity, equity, and inclusion in BC and within BC organizations and workplaces. Every week, I'll be joined by a guest co-host and a guest for what I expect will be very engaging, educational, and thought-provoking conversations on what is a very important topic. My first guest co-host on the series today is Chantelle Krish. She is a passionate advocate and advisor on strategies related to the advancement of equality and inclusion. She is currently Director of Communications Programs and Outreach with the Office of the Lieutenant Governor of BC, where she helps lead provincial engagement efforts with a special focus on areas of equality and inclusion, reconciliation, and democracy. She sits on the board of Minerva Foundation of BC and has a long history of working with organizations to help build greater inclusion. Chantel, we're so excited to have you as one of our rotating guest co-hosts on the show, and thanks for joining me for our first episode. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. And we are joined today by the founder of an organization that actually has a connection to Chantel. She's been volunteering with the Inclusion Project, and Ruth Mojid, founder and CEO, that's Chief equity officer of the Inclusion Project joins us today. It's based in BC and the initiative last week just wrapped a multi-day roundtable event focused on moving with the data. Ruth, thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you. Thank you, Haley, for having me and great to see you again, Chantal. You too. It's great to have you, Ruth. I'd like to start by asking you, tell us what the Inclusion Project is and what are some of your goals with this initiative? Totally. Um, we kind of call ourselves a social innovation network um, of stakeholders across public and private sectors uh, working together to advance um, racial equity, diversity and inclusion. What that means essentially is um, we support organizations um, in terms of their intercultural uh, capacity development, um, in terms of um, support around assessments and audits and benchmark benchmarking EDI in the workplace. And of course, um, things like the, the roadmap and strategic action plans and, and things like that. Uh, that is what we do. That's so wonderful, Ruth. And um, one of the questions that I just find really interesting knowing, knowing about your work and your history is um, like from when you started doing racial equity, diversity and inclusion work and engaging multi-sector stakeholders to where we are now in this sort of moment in time where this is top of mind for organizations and individuals, what sort of progress have you seen? And, um, you know, what inspires you about the, the transition to where we are today? Mm -hmm. um, I think first off, the fact that um, look a few years ago, maybe even five years ago, um, equity, diversity and inclusion was becoming kind of a buzzword. It's like you're in and you're like the woke organization, if you know what it's about, <laughs> or if you have a committee or someone on staff who's like our EDI staff. But now um, I feel like some of that is shifting to more of the this is the day-to-day -day reality of certain groups of people. And that reality is so real. Um, some of the barriers and, and inequalities and inequities that, I, that they experience in the world of work, these issues run deeper than just something that is a 
peripheral, superficial um, buzzword or something that means that we belong with a certain group. Um, I think the, the lived experience point of views of people are becoming more and more relevant. And of course, we'll credit a lot of that to, to the events that, ha that happened in the summer of last year um, in the wake of Judge Floyd's killing and how the world literally came to a standstill mm -hmm. or maybe it was more marching in a certain direction. And that was really people who historically have been marginalized oppressed and continue to be saying hey no more we need to look at accountability and if there's anything um given everything that we're doing at the inclusion project if there's anything that we hinge our work on it's how do we keep organizations and stakeholders accountable um i talked about the the process that we support organizations with we have a process called the ready process which essentially is the racial equity diversity and inclusion and for us what that means is we do work intersectionally so at the intersections of at the intersection of gender and youth and amongst other things but we believe that race is kind of the fulcrum it's the center mm -hmm. point once we're able to get past some of the issues that uh, segregate um, that exclude certain groups um, and we look at it from a racially um, inclusive lens um, once we're able to address that along with issues around gender and some of these other social categories I, I think that we would have succeeded in moving the needle uh, to some extent I'm glad you mentioned race, Ruth, because I want to ask you about READY specifically. I hear a lot about DEI or EDI, and the R is missing. How important is it to tack on that R and actually consider not just equity, but explicitly state that an organization is looking to achieve or improve racial equity? Mm -hmm. um, talking about buzzwords, as I was referring to earlier, um, so one of the ones that's also come through now is the is the BIPOC and just the clustering and categorization of uniquely different groups of people. Yes, there are some common threads in the issues that we face as Black people, as Indigenous people, as people of color uh, more broadly. There are some similarities, no doubt, but there are also these are also uniquely different, distinct issues. And we're seeing that was being thrown around. And it's just the idea that um, there's an erosion, if you may, of, of the experiences, the lived experiences of certain groups, a clustering of it all into whatever boxes and categories we want to put them into. And we are in this space kind of advocating, agitating for there's got to be a shift in how we show up as organizations, um, as people groups, as institutions who are in this journey to better ourselves. So also bringing it back to the idea um, behind the ready process in which we lead in it's the conscious effort to bring racial equity to the center almost to the beginning if you may um and increasingly our, our process is also expanding to be more of a ready plus process and the plus is acknowledging deliberately um that there are other intersections for instance whatever assumptions you're able to make of me because of how i present as a black person as a woman um was saying quite del deliberately we're leading the work with racial equity but there are also other categories that we need to consider so um the ready for us is how we're ensuring that we're keeping race where it belongs um when it, it's in the mix we're keeping it right where it belongs which is in at the very beginning yeah I, it's it's very brave work i think absolutely that doesn't mean that it's not necessary and it's it's probably was time quite some time ago but it's wonderful to see that this is happening now 
Um, in one of my previous roles, I was co-chairing some work that involved integrating principles of reconciliation across the organization from an operational standpoint to our communications, to our advocacy and outreach. And we worked closely with Indigenous partners to make sure that we were doing this in the spirit and in the respectful way. Um, and so during that time, we learned, we talked a lot about emotional labor, like as an Indigenous person in an organization, are you always the one that's looked upon to speak to your truth and to share your experiences, sometimes ones that are quite raw and expose vulnerabilities that you might not necessarily want to to show up in the workplace, but that doesn't mean that you're not deeply committed to advancing this kind of work. So one of my questions for you, Ruth, is how do you support organizations to create safe spaces for racialized folks within the organizations to be able to speak constructively without sort of being that token person of color being asked, you know, what are we doing wrong and how can we do it better? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that came through quite clearly uh, with the roundtable, and this is the, this is one of the considerations that we've had with the different um, stakeholder groups and communities that we've been working with as well, is the idea of moving beyond safe spaces to brave spaces. And brave in this sense um, where, I mean, I'm really glad, Chantel, that you brought that issue up around emotional labor and some of the unacknowledged even um, work that racialized people have have to do because they mm -hmm. they belong within um, certain organizations and the expectation that they will continue to show up. And the whole idea of brave spaces in this case is kind of a calling out, if you may, um, of, of, of leaders, power holders within organizations and saying, hey, for, for this to not become, for the intention, however well-meaning it is, to not become tokenism, um, to not become just, you know, checkboxing or something. There's a need to step out of what is normal for us and step bravely into those spaces to acknowledge what we do not know, to acknowledge the gaps and really to show up humbly. Um, you you mm -hmm. talked about um, earlier, uh, Chantel, this is brave work, absolutely. But that braveness, um, I think the best way to kind of support that is when people meet it halfway with a lot of humility, with a lot of open-mindedness and the willingness to do the work. So again, it's it's um, ensuring that the burden uh, for change, the burden to shift um, the status quo is not just on people who have been historically asked and asked and asked again, over mm -hmm. and over again, but that organizations, leaders within, within um, organizations are doing some work themselves to ensure they're showing up right and meeting um, racialized people at the middle. Building off of that, Ruth, what are some of the best leadership practices taking place today around how a leader of an organization or a business can really foster those brave spaces within an organization and remove some of that emotional labor off of, say, certain individuals and make it very much a group effort? Mm -hmm. You know, um, in the wake of George Floyd's killing and, and all of that that happened in the summer, suddenly we saw this influx um, of organizations coming out and talking about, oh, what do we do? How do we shift our diversity statement? Or how do we ensure we're showing up and, you know, um, the solidarity and allyship? And it's like, hold on a minute. 
first <laughs> there is some work to be done before you post something on your website yeah. or you post that thing on social media there's the audit and assessment that you've got to do there is some unlearning and relearning that's got to happen but that unlearning again you don't shift the burden to the people who themselves are already carrying um tons different layers of of, of burdens and and feeling oppressed and whatnot First, it's it's that willingness to to find out what you don't know. Um, that could happen at the individual level where you're reaching out deliberately to to um, do. There are all sorts of all sorts of tests and all that out there. Um, like Harvard Business School has the um, implicit bias test. There's mm -hmm. all sort of tests around unconscious bias and whatnot as well. Even start from there. Just going to Google, type it in. Um, what is unconscious bias? Do some work at that level, and when it gets, it starts to get into the weeds of it, and where you know you need someone with the grounded expertise or maybe the lived experience, then you invite them into that space. But first, before we get to the point of um, making public statements around what we said, we need to ensure that we have the right language, we have the right tools, we've done the necessary audit and assessment to know what the the racial climate within our organisations are. And, and could that look like doing, you know, surveys across anonymous surveys across the organization to just generate and gather data so you could really understand where people are at, like those sorts of things, right? Absolutely. And um, our ready process, for instance, would be coming in from that very beginning. We have yeah. a pre-assessment, kind of our discovery phase where we're trying to understand what's the intention here. Um, is this just to be seen as performing the act of being inclusive, or is the real? Is this is this a compliance-based um, need for inclusion, or is 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 there a real genuine need here to to do something better to to better uh, the people within the organization and that's the point where we then determine are we going with this organization or maybe they're not quite there yet maybe yeah. they still <laughs> move further along before we can have that conversation because again while we're in this space we want to support organizations we also understand how tasking um that responsibility can be and we want to be sure that we were doing the journey with people who have themselves do some work and are ready to move to the next phase and then the next phase after that is coming in to do the audit and assessment itself um and that's where we build in some of these surveys and toolkits and benchmarks and and whatnot and based on that we we start to look at what does the culture um what does culture shift look like within the context of this workplace uh, very often we find many organizations starting to the starting from the point of um training and oh we need to have the right lingo and and once again it's hold up a minute yeah, let's talk about what you need that language for let's talk about what resources you have already that you're not tapping into who are some of the champions and all of that and then at the end of that process is for us it's not just a one-off thing um, and of course a lot of the organizations we work with it's not just in three months or six months it's usually kind of a committed process where in another year for instance we're measuring and we're tracking the change that has happened we have champions within the organizations that become the first point of call when um, different stakeholder groups have questions around what do we do this issue um, as, a, as a reason within the organization what do we do to ensure that we have um, supported empowered if you may certain groups within the organization um, to be able to do that work meaningfully from the inside out so that's that's kind of the, the yeah. full 
uh, process and of course the strategic framing the roadmap and action planning around where do you want to be what are some of the steps that you need to take to to be in that place in five years in 10 years or however long are you finding that organizations are afraid of going through an audit that they might be afraid of finding out and seeing the data that they are in fact not very diverse absolutely on that one um, <laughs> they just want to skip to the end and say look at these things we're doing ignore where we came from <laughs> yeah yes 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 you know one of the things is I, as i mentioned at, at the beginning um accountability so part of the reasons we're moving with the data you talked about the event uh, that we had last week that brought together over 250 um stakeholders multi-level stakeholders across um different different organization organizational groups um, and everyone came together and uh, the key thing for us this year was around accountability but quite importantly too on another hand is data transparency uh, first is what 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 kind of data are we collecting um, how are we, who is collecting that data if there's something one of the learnings that I came out of that conversation with is the, the conversation around data um, is just as important if not less so important as who's collecting the data who's got to who's got the power to do something with whatever the data is saying and really um what are we doing with all of this data fronts all that to say um it's all too important that um organizations as they're showing up and looking to do this work uh, that they are that they under I, I spoke about humility before um and part of that humility is not being afraid to know where you're at um look in the mirror let the mirror show you the face for what it is and let's look at how we can um show up differently if need be um let's look at how we can build on that and rise above if that makes any sense so to answer your question uh, directly, yes, a number of organizations are, are afraid um, to, to say this is where we're at or to have something publicly um, that shows how they're doing in terms of their EDI. Uh, but we've moved, we've gotten past that point, or at least we should be past that point as a society where it's about we're just trying to protect what's internal. No, um, the issues are on our streets. Um, and yeah. God forbid that we're back to that point where the people who continue to be oppressed, um, whose stories are not being captured in whatever data we are gathering or not even gathering, God forbid that we get to, to the point again where we're back on the streets and saying this is how um, our story should matter. This is how we should be reflected in, in the data and at the decision-making table. So um, yeah. yes, there is that fear, but we've got to move past it. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it speaks to the resiliency of an organization if they are willing to expose, I guess, that vulnerability or at least explore it. Um, I'm personally just so inspired by, you know, attending the conference last week online and just seeing the diverse cross sections of leaders and, you know, advocates and champions and, you know, from all different backgrounds that are there to learn and listen and, and then respectfully maybe build consensus or, or advance action, right? So, Obviously, there's a deep interest for it, and I think you know it's it's wonderful to see that kind of groundswell. One of the questions I had for you, Ruth, and I've seen this um, in just different readings on the topic, is 
often organizations like I'm, you know, now we're seeing a lot more roles like chief diversity officer or inclusion officer, which is great. You're seeing that sort of executive level champion for this work. Often they fall in the human resources department of an organization. How do you feel about that? Do you think that that's the right positioning? Do you think it should be broader? You spoke earlier to sort of like top level leadership. Can you just speak a little bit to sort of the positioning and what you would recommend for organizations? Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, if we're talking about culture shift, um, which is what a lot of this boils down to, uh, as they say, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And if there's still anything left, it will come back for lunch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if we're talking about culture shift, uh, that's not just an HR prerogative. Yeah. I think that's one of the openers that we have um, as an organization when we go in. First, it's to see who's in the room at that pre-assessment phase. Who's, the, who's in the room having this conversation? Who thinks this is an imperative? Who thinks this is important to them? We are hoping that there is a solid enough mix where it's not just C-suite executives saying, oh, um, now this is gonna be our focus, our theme for the year. No, racial equity should not be the theme for the year. Um, also, it should not be HR saying, oh, we've got a number of complaints, so now let's do this and let's focus on it for three months or something. The work around employment equity, around um, EDI more broadly, um, moves beyond just an HR prerogative. If we're talking about culture, if we're talking about something that impacts the day-to-day -day experiences of people on the work, that should be everybody at the table. That should be the one place where we have a level playing field um, it should be the one place where we have a level playing field across the board and everyone is coming in as learners and co-creators and, and people who, who have the same mind to see change. Very well said. In our final few moments left, Ruth, I'm hoping you can share first an initial step an organization can take. They haven't done too much in this space and they're looking to maybe somehow get started, as well as a couple of resources you might recommend for organizations and businesses. Mm -hmm. um, a few steps. I, I think we touched on them already. Uh, first, do some work internally. Um, try to understand, listen, um, invite people. Some of those people who he's, typically would be overlooked within the organization when it comes to making decisions. Try to see why are their voices not being um, included? Why are they not represented? If you're in a circle, whether it's at the C-suite executive le level and um, the people around you look and sound very much like you, um, you get into the lunch rooms and the, the social experiences that you can draw on are things that are all too familiar for you. That is a signal of something unhealthy happening there. So you've got to first do that work, invite others into that space. Try to understand what are their experiences. And again, if you just have a, an organization that is strictly homogeneous, there is more work to be done. Um, so there is that pre-work. Um, in terms of resource, resources, um, what I've found too in, in recommending or look at this uh, book or use this tool and all that, we also find that um, there could be some harm in that process where people go in educate themselves and think now i'm armed i am the perfect ally i am the flagship bearing ally who can you know lead my organization to success and and we want to cut on on that and say no um there there should be space to invite the experts um and by experts i mean people whose day-to-day -day experiences um 
encapsulate uh, these issues that we're talking about, invite them into that space, um, get them to go that journey with you to do whatever audits and assessment um, and, and um, planning and strategic action framing and all of that that needs to be done. Those would be the, the two things um, that I would recommend as, as a starter. Excellent, Ruth. Thank you so much for joining us on our show and for our very first podcast in this series. I really appreciate your insight and your time. Thank you. Thanks, Ruth. Great to see you. That was Ruth Mojid. She is the founder and CEO, Chief Equity Officer of the Inclusion Project. Chantel Krish has been my co-host. Thanks for joining me, Chantel. Thanks for having me. And this has been the first episode on BIV's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion podcast. I'm Haley Wooden, Executive Editor at BIV. Thanks for joining us. We'll be publishing new episodes of this particular series every week on Tuesday.